Welcome to Talking Travel on 2 and you are FM. Greg Richard joined by the returning Sally Lucas. Sally, thanks to thanks for coming back. Yeah, I did come back. Yeah, I didn't stay over there forever, but um, yeah, we'll chat about where I've been. Right, yeah. So give us a hint. A hint, a hint, a hint. A hint uh, Seoul in South Korea, Cornwall, Wales, and Paris. All right, and a bit of London. More of a giveaway than a hint, but. <laughs> <laughs> Been on a couple of adventures for the last few weeks, off to Seoul. Yes, I have, and I haven't been to Seoul for a long, long, long time, and of course everywhere changes over those years. But I did stay in the old section because I thought I I really didn't want to do the glitzy part. I wanted to go back and see some of the things I hadn't seen before, which was lovely because we went to um, a square called, um, probably my pronunciation is not good to any Korean listeners out there, but Gwangaman Square, and you have... um, sculpture there, this Admiral, which was just incredible because we don't learn a lot of history about what happened in the Asian Wars. Like it was all about the Industrial Revolution in England and do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So, I, And it was just amazing to read about the stories of one of these uh, people who was Si Sun Yi, his name was, and he battled with Japan and he actually won and, and defeated them with 30 aircraft, uh, 30 aircraft, 30 mm-hmm. watercraft against, you know, they had hundreds and hundreds of craft and we're mm-hmm. going back to the, the 16, 1600s. So it was really fascinating to learn some history there as well. But you go there as well and there's these wonderful temples that you can go to and just the most magnificent temple with your golden Buddhas inside and and there's an old village called Bukchong Village where, where they used to traditionally live and they've kept it like that so you can see how traditional life was back in the day. So it was a really interesting three-day stopover and also... Uh, the smog and the pollution, like they keep talking about us here and how all our greenhouse emissions. I flew yep. back into Sydney and I thought, what a gorgeous, beautiful city to fly into. It's got to be one of the best places to fly into, doesn't oh, it? Oh, it has to be. And there's not that many when you think about it. Probably San Francisco comes to mind. But but coastal airports, they're yep. often more inland. Um, but you know, but the population of Seoul's 22 million. We've only got 25 in the whole mm. of Australia. And they've got a lot of factories. So you can imagine the pollution. Yep. Uh, nothing. We've got nothing to complain about compared to that, I can tell you. But anyway, it was an interesting couple of days and I really, really enjoyed it. There's a nice pedestrian area with all antique shops and just to enjoy the Korean food. And yeah, it was a nice little stopover. And it's sort of, it's not halfway, but when you fly there, it's about a, like a nine and a half hour flight. Okay, yeah. And then it's uh, about a 12 hour then on, on to London. So you're not halfway, but it's sort of getting close. So it's breaking You're that flight it. up a yeah. bit. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's quite good. Yeah, so that was great. Um, and then from there on, we, we did go on, on to London, but we didn't spend any time there initially. We just had a night in Windsor, hired okay. a car and then headed down. In the castle? Not in the, in the castle. castle. <laughs> no, we weren't invited. Oh, it's <laughs> Damn. It's... Damn. Um, They're a bit picky like that sometimes. Yeah, they are, aren't they? And then we headed down to Salisbury um, so that we could do um, Stonehenge, which, again, I hadn't done Oh, gosh, since the 70s. Okay, well. And when you went there in Stonehenge in those days, you could just walk up, walk around and virtually touch the stones. But now everything's... All fenced off? Or? Oh, yeah, all fenced off. And you've got to have this huge car park about oh, a half hour if you're walking and yeah. a good half hour walk or a, what would that be, a bit over a kilometre. Um, and then there's this big building there now and then there's buses that take you up to Stonehenge and drop you off and take you back. So it was so busy and we didn't think about it when I left, but we happened to be there on a weekend. So, of course, weekends are going to be busier than weekdays. So I just couldn't get over the change, how once this 
you know, mono, these monoliths were just standing there on their own with nothing around them, but now it's roped it's off rough. and, you know, it, 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 yeah, times change, don't they? And you go back to places you've been in previous years, you, you don't realise how much things can change. Yeah. Probably someone's worked out a way to get a bit of coin out of it as well, I'd imagine. Oh, well, I don't think we, cynical, pay, we, but... didn't, we didn't pay anything. I think I did it as a day tour actually out of London. I was in London back in yep. the day and did a day tour that took in, you know, Salisbury, Salisbury Cathedral, Stonehenge and Bath and you just did it as, as, a, as a day tour. Okay, yep. And so you just paid for the day tour and, and that was it. So whether there was actually any admission fee for Stonehenge back then, I'm not sure. But certainly there was nothing there other than those so much, yeah. monoliths sitting there. Yeah, so it shows you how things have changed. But, yeah, look, it was, that was still great to see. And we've had – we were blessed with beautiful weather this trip, absolutely blessed, because you, you never know with the UK. Yeah. But <laughs> we, we were lucky because it was only early June, the first month of summer, so that was, was um, wonderful. But, yeah, a lot more to talk about in Cornwall, though. A lot more in Cornwall. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Look, it was beautiful. Look for, and Wales, Cornwall's in Wales? No, Cornwall's the bottom, the southern part of England where you have Land's End, you know, south southwest, which yep. is Devon and Cornwall. And then just sort of, I guess, a bit northwest of that, you've got Wales. So we did the southern part of Wales and the southwestern part right. of England, which is... I think all my Welsh ancestors just rolled in their graves when they heard me say <laughs> Cornwall in Wales. But <laughs> They would have, they would have, and they, they'd be there absolutely berating you. <laughs> been to Seoul and we've been to... Well, we're still in England at the moment at Cornwall is the next stop, isn't it? It is, yes. So after Salisbury, we headed down to Penzance and we stayed down there for five days, which was lovely. Um, and what they've got down there, which is cheap as chips, you could get on this hop-on, hop-off bus that took you around the whole of southwest Cornwall. We took the whole day to do it for five pounds, five quid. Five pounds, really? And actually, when we were talking to one of the, another guy who was running a tourist uh, facility we went to, he said, it's an introductory thing. He said, I don't think it will stay at that for too long. <laughs> but all the locals were using it as well. Like they, uh, they yeah. take one to one of the points where you can get off and go for a walk or a swim or take their yep. dog or whatever. And might, um, might have been cheaper than the bus. <laughs> yeah, well, it was just, yeah, but it was great value. So we did that and we got off at a place called Marazion. And it where you are there, you get a little ferry when it's... Um, high tide or when it's not low tide, should I say, to a place called Mount St. Michael. And everyone says, oh, you're talking about Mont Saint-Michel in France. No, it is a similar thing, but it's the English version. And it is um, sort of related to Mont Saint-Michel, but it's not as big. Yep. So it was started like as an abbey. Um, as an offshoot of Mont Saint-Michel. So similar sort of thing, the most beautiful medieval castle that was built, started building about the 1100s, and then it ended up in a private family and it's now been given to them on a nine. Hundred no no nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine year lease, but it's also being run by the National Trust. How long was so, that lease? Nine thousand year lease <laughs> to the to the St Alban family, but it, it's just a magnificent place to go if you're over there. It was delightful, and you know the beautiful stained glass windows, the collection of items they had in there, um, this beautiful organ. I was just telling Graham Wilson because he you know he does a lot of work overseas with with organs and sure. and recording organ uh, recitals and so on. It was built in 1797 and it's in still considered one of the best organs in working condition of that era in the world. Yeah, right, where else? And it's still in that abbey and they still play it at the little chapel. You, and anyone can come over to, to Mount St. Michael on Sunday if you would want to go to church yep. there. Uh, low tide, you can walk if it's low tide, so it's something you can do. So then the little bus headed on around and we ended up at St. Ives, which is a lovely seaside town. Padstow, where famous Rick Stein's restaurant is. Yep. I sat outside and had the picture taken because I couldn't afford to go inside. Yep, <laughs> understandable. <laughs> and, and even at his little seafood 
seafood bar down the road that was advertised as two glasses of fizz and six oysters was £50. So take your money with you. Take your checkbook. Yeah. (laughs) And from there we ended up at the beautiful little town of um, Port Isaac, which was called Port Wen in Doc Martin, and also Fisherman's Friends was filmed there. And I've always wanted to go there, and that was a delightful little village as well. And another one we went to on a separate day, which was further back the other direction, not to the west but to the east in Cornwall, was a little town called Polpero. And this beautiful little fishing village that was just gorgeous, with lovely little harbour like Port Isaac has. But some of these villages are just delightful, and everything was lush and green, and the scenery was beautiful. Um, And then we had it off into the southern part of Wales. But we basically um, stayed there for about four days, even a day at Abergavenny. I love that song about Abergavenny. I can't remember how to sing it, but that's all right. Um, Everyone goes on a day trip to Abergavenny. Anyway, another cute little town. But all these areas we stayed at were around a a national park called the Brecon Beacons, and they are just stunning, the most beautiful national park, which if you've got the time, like you can do hikes and, you know, trails and walks. And it was very busy. A lot of people love hiking in this part of Wales, and it was actually delightful, a lovely park to go to. Then I finished up in, in Birmingham, and my husband went to... The cricket, the first test uh-huh. at Edgbaston, yep. and he said it was the best test match he's ever seen because it was right down to the wire. And I headed off to Paris for a few days because it was a real way up. Birmingham, Paris, Birmingham, Paris, oh, Birmingham, I would have gone to Birmingham. <laughs> nah, nah. Anyway, I had a few lovely days in Paris on my own, uh, just following on Monet's museums. I'd done two and I wanted to do the other two, which I've done now. And um, just had a lovely time wandering and experiencing the cafes and strolling through Paris for a few days. And then we came back to London, had two nights there and then home. And Battersea Park, I guess it's like South Bank in Brisbane and the docks in Melbourne and what we've done. All these old areas were once warehouses or whatever have been renewed. And Battersea Park now is amazing. The actual power station that it once was has been converted actually into a shopping centre. But the whole thing's on the river and surrounded by lovely cafes. And this powerhouse was considered one of the most architecturally important because of the bricks it was built with. And the stacks are huge. It's a massive, massive building. But it's still an attractive building for a powerhouse. So, again, they've converted something that was... You know, going to be useless rather than demolish it. It's now become a, an attraction and, and a worthy one at that. So that that was a nice way to finish up. And the weather was hot. Like we were getting 28, 29 degrees and it was only the first month of summer. I was about to say, it sounds like you were very lucky weather-wise. Extremely. I got, I actually got sunburnt. Can you believe it? Never thought I'd go to England <laughs> and get sunburnt. But there you go. And that was in the hop-on, hop-off bus and the, we were upstairs with the wind and the sun. Oh, okay, yep. Yeah, so I had this bright red forehead. But anyway. Should have wore a hat. <laughs> I didn't have a hat, did I? <laughs> I didn't have a hat. Sally, there's a new rule about getting into the EU just being brought out. There has. And this uh, came about while I was away, actually. So I'm probably a bit behind the eight ball and everybody may, may know about it. Yep. But just in case they don't, um, next year it's, it's going to get slightly more more complicated for us anyway to get to Europe. What they're doing this for, it's a new entry system designed to reduce illegal immigration and beef up security against terrorism. So from 2024, Australian passport holders will have to go onto a website and it's called the European Travel Information Authorisation System and it's a visa waiver which will allow you into countries and to travel 
Europe freely. And for us as Australian passport holders, yes, we will be able to travel freely. Um, and you will be it will be valid for three years from the date of issue or until your passport expires. If you're under 18 or over 70, though, you pay nothing. Um, and it lets you into any one of 30 continental European countries for up to 90 days in a 180-day period. So just keep it in mind and don't forget every time something like this, this comes out, there are scammers jump on it like a hot cake yep. and often have things on websites and you're paying this exorbitant amount for this visa that isn't really a visa. Yeah, They're yeah. just getting your money. It's only um, about €7, Euros, which is only about a, just over $11 Australian. So if you want to just write down the website or check with your travel agent, it's E-T-I-A-S, it's its acronym, and it's travel dash Europe dot Europa dot EU slash ETIAS and that's all in lowercase. But if you're not sure, even if you just Googled ETIAS, I'm sure it would it, it would come, come up. up. But yep. just make sure you're on the official website yep. of ETIAS because it's only seven euros. Right. Okay. Especially if you Google as well, make sure it's the right one. Exactly. Because you, you, you know, you, the first one that comes up, sometimes people just click on it and, it, yep. and it's not the official one. Yeah. So just double check on that one. All right, you got some hot deals to finish with? I have. Um, just going to firstly mention, which I missed out on last year, damn, is the Warbirds over Wanaka. And that's on again next year, 26th of March. Yep. And there's a great package available at the moment if you're a, an air aficionado mm-hmm. and love watching your sh- air shows, as I do. Um, now, they're only taking um, a small group. This is small group touring with 20 seats, 11 days in New Zealand. And you're going to all sorts of Air Force museums apart from doing the air show itself. You get a three-day goal pass to do the Wanaka air show itself. But you're also taking in Christchurch, Mount Cook, Franz Joseph, uh, Wellington and Blenheim. There's most meals included. Heaps heaps of things are included, even a bonus tour jacket, um, lots of VIP extras, etc. So if you're interested, you'll need to get in early. It will book out quickly and that's 26 March next year. Beautiful. Um, Other than that, we've got quite a few others. Greg, I'll quickly try and go through them. Viking Cruises, which is your adult-only cruise company, so no casinos, no dress-ups, no children. It's all about where you're going and you have all the correct people on board giving you wonderful lectures and, of course, you have beautiful food at a range of restaurants where you can eat open dining. You don't have to have set Okay, yep. Sittings and all that sort of thing. So they're doing one called the Rhine Viking Shores and Fjords in June and August 2025, which is 15 days. Um, it's under $10,000 and there's savings of up to 2000 on that, plus a $2,000 flight credit if you book by the 28th of August. They're also doing this incredible voyage, what they call of Marco Polo from Athens to Bangkok or vice versa. covers 36 days, 10 countries which would just be wonderful, October 2024 and March 2025. Now, that's it's about $22,000, but 36 days with everything included, it's it's still good value for yeah. money. You can do sectors on it if you don't want to do the whole journey, but there are savings of up to $1,600 per couple, into, including, again, a $2,000 flight credit per couple, again, if you book by 28 August. 
Within Oz, we've got some wonderful train journeys, as you probably know, Greg, we've talked about many of them before, whether it's the GAN or the Indian Pacific or the Great Southern, which is that new East Coast one they've got that goes from either, you know, Adelaide to Brisbane and vice versa. Um, they've got a three-day one, um, one direction and a four-day. They take a slightly different itinerary, mm-hmm. depending which way you want to go. Um, so they're available as well for 2023, summer 2023 through into 2024. Adelaide to Brisbane, your three-day journey is under two and a half thousand. That's a saving of $500 a couple. And the four-day journey in the reverse from Brisbane to Adelaide is under three and a half thousand per person. Again, you've got Wonders of Western Australia by train. 2024 is on sale. Four-day package Sydney to Perth and also a nine-day Perth to Sydney, which includes a Margaret River indulgence package. How nice would that be? Down in the wineries and the chocolate and the cheese and everything that's down in the Margaret River region. I think we could manage that. You could manage that. So you can save up to $1,200 per couple. Both those, um, sorry, not on that one. That's the wrong one I'm giving you on that one. That one's under $4,500, sorry. Um, There's no cut-off date. It's just subject to the space being available once it's sold out, sold out. Um, Now, Outback Spirit's doing the 16 Days Exquisite Kimberley, and that's with a saving of up to $2,900 per couple. And that's a wonderful voyage, of course, as we've talked about before when you're travelling all through that wonderful Kimberley region of Western Australia. And they're also doing a smaller, short one if you haven't got much time, just doing the southwest of Western Australia. You've got to book both those by the 30th of September and they've also got savings of 1200 per couple on the short one and nearly $3,000 per couple on the 16-day. So good value for money. So there's quite a lot out there at the moment, Greg. You just need, as all these, you always say, is to get in early so if you want to do any of these things because everything is still booking out so far ahead. Nothing has changed in that area. Uh, get in early to get a, take advantage, sorry, yeah. should I say, of, a, of any discounts or rebates that you can, but not just to get the discount or the rebate, to make sure you actually can lock lock your space yeah. in and, and get, the, get the seat on the airplane or get the seat on the train, whatever. Mm. You do need to get in as early as possible. So, Lucas, thank you very much. We'll catch you again next week. You will. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.